Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Law Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or blog talk radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And following the show, you can continue the discussion on the Afrogenius.com and, of course, my Facebook page, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. In fact, please like my page and join my Facebook group. Well, tonight's show will be hosted by author, African Roots podcaster, and genealogist Angela Walton Raji, because I'm switching roles tonight and I'm joining the other authors called the Memory Keepers, Harris Bailey Jr., Ellen Butler, Ethel Bailey, and Vincent Shepard for a discussion of our new book, Our Ancestors, Our Stories. So welcome, Angela Walton Raji, and I'm turning the show over to you. Wow, amazing shoes to fill, but I am thrilled to be here Good evening, everyone. I am so excited about tonight's show. And if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you know I got my book last week, and I hope that many of you have received your book. Now, what book am I talking about? I'm talking about the book called Our Ancestors, Our Stories by individuals who are collectively known as the memory keepers. Harris Bailey Jr., Bernice Bennett, our beloved host, Ellen LeVon Butler, Ethel Daly, and Vincent Shepard. Now, I want to say one word about the book, and then we're going right to our first guest. This book itself, for me, there are two amazing realities. First of all, they're the stories themselves the stories that these individuals have decided to share, or they're sharing their research journey. It's not a who we got, who we got, who we got whom. This is a story on individuals sharing how they have found the story of their ancestors. And the stories themselves reflect some of the challenges that they faced and the challenges faced by 
the ancestors themselves in a pretty hostile county at times. And these five writers, four with roots directly in Edgefield, they dared to write and tell their story. And, of course, it's just the miracle of the collaboration, which has impressed me so very, very much. Anyway, I've said enough. Let's go to our first guest, Harris Bailey, Jr., who's a resident of Greenwood, South Carolina. Now, this individual really, I think, gave the right beginning to the book because I hope that all of you are aware that you have to have some historical sense of the community, where your ancestors are from, and that's what he did in the chapter, this place known as Edgefield. Harris Bailey, welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure. Well, I want to say that, you know, you did provide an interesting overview in terms of understanding the history. How valid is it, do you think, having that sense of history for individuals who are researching their families? Can you just just give, a, a, I guess, a commentary about that? And uh, then I'll ask some other questions specifically about Edgefield. What is your opinion about having that historical base, that background? Well, I think that if you're doing genealogical research, you need to put it within a historical context. You need to know why my family stayed, why my family left, why my family is in this occupation, uh, just the, and, and what historical factors push them into or push them out of a county or out of a city or out of a state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you did provide a very interesting overview for the readers to understand the history of not just the county as it is now, but the old Edgefield district. For those who are really unfamiliar to South Carolina, can you tell the listeners a little bit about Edgefield? For example, when when was the county established? Uh, why did you ask me that question? That's a hard question. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you, first of all, most people don't know where Edgefield is located. We had an earthquake in South Carolina that was centered in Edgefield, and the, and one of the largest television stations didn't know where Edgefield was. But Edgefield wow. is, in the, is in the northwestern section of South Carolina. Uh, it's about 23, 23 miles north of Augusta, Georgia. Uh, if you live in Atlanta, Georgia, it's about 100 and uh, – let me look at my notes uh, – and 195 okay it's 165 miles from Atlanta and it's uh 149 miles from Charleston so that kind of puts it in 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 the western section of South Carolina in terms of when was South Carolina uh Edgefield uh, uh first when the county was founded let me go through my notes here I'm going to be shuffling papers here for a second <laughs> I guess sort of an approximation is, is what I'm trying to get a feeling of. It's part of an old district. I know that much. Yes. I knew that little bit of piece of data before I picked it up and, and appreciated your sort of taking the reader all the way through, um, you know, really through the years in which the researchers would be researching. Because having that as a, as a background, I think, is, is quite essential. I also... Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh, 
the, the county of Edgefield was uh, formed in 1871, right after Reconstruction. Uh, but following the Re- Revolutionary War in 1878, that's when the district was first created. Uh, so, uh-huh. you know, it's, you, you, it's, it's a very old district, and it was also the largest district in South Carolina for, until, uh, until, until, after, until after Reconstruction. Okay, that's that's really good to know. Well, the other members, one of the things I realized uh, in the beginning looking at your chapter, uh, the other memory keepers are really rooted ancestrally in the Edgefield area. But you have a different background, so I'm curious as to how you came to be a part of this group that chose to write their Edgefield story. Can, can you elaborate on that? Sure, I can. Uh, Bernice is my wife's cousin, and if you read Bernice's chapter, she lays out how they are cousins in that chapter. Uh, My professional background is in public administration and and political science, but I have an equivalence of a bachelor's degree in history. And being a good bureaucrat is my job. Being a good bureaucrat is my job, but my love has always been and always will be history. When Bernice and the other writers authors started talking about this project, there was a conscientious, there was consensus, I'm, I'm sorry, there was a consensus that they wanted a history component on this book. And over the years, for some reason, uh, which I don't fully understand, uh, I have been their history go-to person. So when this project started up, when the when uh, when our ancestors, our story started up, uh, they asked me to come in and do the history part. Oh, that's wonderful. How has you acquired, I guess, that role as the go-to person then, I'm curious, uh, where you said that it was just kind of a natural interest for you then? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, I, even though my background is in, in another field, I've always, you know, history has always been my first love. Uh, and so it, it was just it's just natural for me to, to read a lot of history and, and understand. And because my wife was doing research in Edgefield County, uh, uh-huh. you know, I was helping her, you know, put things within a uh, within a context. And and we have a saying in our house, and that saying goes, "If you say it, you have to prove it." Aha! Uh-huh. So I like you. You just can't say, say it. well. Bear Man Kemp is my relative. You have to prove to me that Bear Man Kemp is your relative. And so that not only requires some genealogy, but it also requires some history, too. Absolutely. Well, I certainly learned a lot about that part of the state when I was reading your introductory chapter. And I appreciated your taking the reader through the years. Um, particularly, you were reflecting how the number of slaves were growing as well as how the number of slaveholders were growing. The question I have is how difficult was it then for you to research and to write the chapter of this region's history? Was that a difficult process for you? Well, the most difficult part of this process was deciding what to put in and what to put out. It's, uh, okay. It's it's easy. It's easier for me to have someone edit than for me to self-edit, because there's always a story that you want to put in. There's always a neat quote that you want to stick in there. There's always something else, a fact, or, un, or something that's totally uh, that, that might be totally unknown to the general public that you want to put in. And you have to decide what am I going to put in 
what I'm not going to put in. Uh, at one point, I was up to 12,000 words. Oh, my. And at that, and at that point, my surrogate mother sat me down at her, uh, her din- at her dinner table and said, this is not working. You need to cut. Oh, and boy. you need to also stop writing like a historian and write like a regular person. <laughs> and so oh, from her dinner, okay. write like a historian. Her, well, were there several pieces of the history that you had hoped that weren't going to end up on the cutting room floor, so to speak? Um, oh, yes, what that was happened during stuff. that edit? That was a lot of stuff that I wanted to put in that I just couldn't get in. I wanted to talk about George Gaffin and his slave, David George, and David George was the first ordained African-American minister in America. And, oh. and George Gaffin was also one of the first wealth, was the first wealthy plantation owners in Edgefield, and and their stories are just wonderful stories. But if you know, but when I wrote it, it was up to a thousand words just writing about them too. Uh, hmm. I, I also want, I touched on the wanderer in the uh, in my chapter, but I want uh-huh. to really talk more about the wanderer because just that story is like an Elmo Leonard novel. Just, just the unbelievable things that was going on that, that these men was do, were doing to get that ship out of the United States into Africa. And when it got to Africa, you know, you know, one of the things I wanted to write about was uh, that was when it when it finally arrived in the Congo, there was a British man of war in the estuary, and they knew that they, that British man of war was looking at them. Uh, so. The three captains wow. invited the officers from the British ship to come over, and then they said, "Why don't you just go ahead and and search our ship? And just make sure we're not 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 slavers." And they said, "Oh, this this is a well-known ship. It couldn't possibly be a slaver." Wow, what a story! That's <laughs> they just slipped away in the night and and, and bought slaves, and then and how the wanderer just 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 outran the African uh the African fleet, the American African fleet, just. This is a wonderful story. Yeah, and, you know, well, it sounds a, like thing that could lead to a project, I have a feeling. It's what it's sounding like. Was there anything that surprised you as you were doing some research on the Edgefield District? Yeah, unlike the rest of South Carolina, uh, after the 1920 census, Edgefield remained a black majority county uh, up until, eight, until, the 1870, until 1970. And I was looking at some census data today, and I was mildly shocked to learn that the percentage of African Americans in Edgefield County is above the state average for all the other counties in the state, and the population breakdown is 60 white, 37 black, and the city of Edgefield is still uh, a black majority community. And oh, that's uh, interesting. And if you like, you want wow. to look at a more snapshot of that, go to uh, www.citydata.com. Thank you so much. Well, you certainly provided a wonderful introduction and a solid historical backdrop for the book. Um, You know, I'm just curious what your next undertaking might be, but I think we've already seen some seeds that you may have planted with some of those stories that got left out. So, Harris Bailey, thank you so much for joining us this evening and, um, you know, make sure that you stay around because some people might have a few questions that they may want to ask you. So thank you so much, Harris Bailey. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. Well, our next guest is Ethel B.
daily. And Ethel, you know, it's been, it was, I enjoyed your chapter so much. Uh, I will say for the listeners, Ethel is joining us from Georgia this evening, but she's a native New Yorker. And she shared her story with us in the chapter called The Journey Has Just Begun. And it was just such a delight to read. Welcome, Ethel, to Blog Talk Radio. Hi, all. Hi. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, I want to say that, you know, you took your reader through the research journey that you went through. And you described something that I thought was a wonderful metaphor describing your journey. And you talked about the water spout, that sometimes that water spout was running freely and other times it was clogged with only a drop or two, and sometimes it was completely turned off. Can you talk about that a little bit? It sounds as if you did have different stages. Uh, I really liked that. And and, um, what made you make that association between your research journey and the water spout? Let me see. Well, at first I was thinking I saw a water spout. And you can turn it on and off for a purpose, to get water. How so, much depends upon the flow, fast, slow, or dribble, and then off. I saw my journey taking this direction. One day I was just standing in my kitchen, and the faucet was running. And uh, many things were crossing my mind at that time. And it seemed that the more I thought about an incident that was productive, even though I was uh. watching subconsciously, I was turning the faucet on full force. And as I began writing, I thought, what can I compare my uh, experiences with? And thought of the flow of the water from the faucet. And that's how I felt I was going through the stages and doing my research. Well, I thought it was was a wonderful metaphor. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, you talked about sometimes that water spout would get turned off because life can just get in the way sometimes. And I think we can all appreciate that. Um, But you mentioned something about a relative, I think, who asked you to fill out some data on a chart for an upcoming reunion, and that seemed as if the faucet was turned on full force. What happened? What what was it that made you get charged and get back to it? Uh, Elaborate a little bit on that. Oh, okay. Well, well, I had been speaking with my relative all on and off over the years about uh-huh. family tree, and somehow all I was doing was just talking about it. And even uh. though I had a chart and started filling out only a few of my relatives' names, but when I saw his chart, you know one thing? I guess I was a little envious. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Okay. I I have to stop procrastinating, you know? So at that moment I felt that I have to go into this full force and start putting my work down, my family down on paper. Right, well, we're all glad you did. Um, You described very well, um, you know, your search for Richmond Blaylock as well as the other families, Frazier's Mm -hmm. and Lowe's and Cook's. And I was curious, as you were just mentioning some of these names, did some of them uh, come to you as a surprise when you found the names, or did you already have them in the family oral history? No, I already had them. I had Richmond and um, 
and the cooks and my family history. Some of the children okay. I didn't know they had. So, but I did have the surnames because my grandmother um, had always um, talked about Richmond, and my mother told me about the Frasers, and I knew of the cooks. Okay, okay. So, of course, so that illustrates how important it is to talk to family and to get that information ahead of time. You also um, talked or you shared a wonderful story about going south with your mother and the experience that you have. And I'm not going to spoil it for the readers, but it was a delightful anecdote to read. And, in fact, it was so delightful. I really laughed out loud when I read it. It was just I could just imagine uh, the scenario that you were describing. But I'm sure you had other stories to tell as well. A question for you. Do you plan to put some of those other stories down and to share them in the future for either future readers or for the future generations in your family? Are you writing anymore or plan to? Oh, yes, I'm still writing. Um, as far as my genealogy, I'm still researching my family. I do have more stories to put down. Um, I've also yes. written a book of poetry, which is still in the closet. <laughs> but I do continue to, um, it is my intent to, you know, go on with more research. Wonderful. And a, just a final question. I'm curious in terms of, of how has your family received it? Now that the book is out, I'm sure the relatives are aware that you're now uh, certainly a published author. What's been the reaction from uh, families and, and individuals close to you? Oh, my grandkids are ecstatic. <laughs> I guess that's where I don't know. They're still grandma has written a book. Um, I have four grandchildren. Oh. Um, 20, I think he's 20, yes, and 16, and then two 12-year-olds, and my kids, they love it. They love it. You've perhaps planted some seeds right within your own family by doing just what you've done, and uh, you may be surprised there may be some more budding authors who are wanting to imitate grandma, so congratulations. As I said, it was a delightful chapter, and Thank you so very much for being a guest this evening. And thank you for interviewing me. Oh, it's been truly a pleasure. Well, our next guest is someone who you all know. In fact, she is the producer of this very blog talk radio program, and we all know Bernice Alexander Bennett. And those of us who know her know that she's a native of New Orleans, Louisiana, but Many of us have come to realize that she has the South Carolina side, and her chapter was truly an adventure as she began the process and shared with us her journey to document her father's ancestral community. And, you know, because we know so much about the ancestors and keep looking for them, but one of the things that she said, she found the living. She found South Carolina Ken. Let's hear a little bit more about that. Welcome, Bernice, to your program. Well, thank you. It's it's kind of strange well, being I, on the other end. It is a lot of fun having you here. I'm like, oh my gosh, Bernice is my guest. Well, I have to say, this is something that it was truly an amazing story um, because I I have had a chance to see the one portrait that you referred to, and you began your chapter 
talking about a portrait. I would like to know, and, and maybe you can share briefly with the listeners, how that beautiful portrait started your Edgefield journey. Well, the portrait that I mentioned in the beginning of my chapter was always a part of, of our home. I mean, I saw that portrait from a little girl. And and like any picture that you see over and over and over again, I felt that I knew who it was, but I really did not know anything mm-hmm. about her. And this was my grandmother, absolutely nothing. And so I could say I knew I looked like her. My granddaddy always said it, but she died at a mm-hmm. young age. And so this portrait really triggered my research to find my South Carolina kin. Well, I think it was just such such a wonderful sort of uh, beginning, and I really appreciated how you shared with us, I guess what is this, a 10-year a journey, I'll say, because you started out talking about going to Edgefield in 2004. So now here we are 10 years later, and you've now published this story. You referred a lot to the aunts, uh, the aunts who became, in a sense, mother figures to your father after his own mother passed. And I kind of appreciate uh, the story of the aunts, and, and I'm curious, do you feel that they were essential for you in that process uh, in terms of the imprint that they made on your family? and maybe a little bit of nudging and and, and an imprint on you. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about the aunts. Well, clearly knowing that my grandmother had two sisters uh, set the stage for me to begin to make a connection, a connection with the living that I had no idea even existed. And just by the fact that I knew those two names, and I won't tell it all, but connected with somebody else that also knew those two names, it changed Uh everything, everything completely. But one of the things I want to say is that I had a portrait, I had a place, I had a name. I had no idea where the place was located, and that was 96 South Carolina. I mean, my only visit to South Carolina was to Hilton Head. I didn't even know if 96 even existed. And so you can imagine trying to piece this together with a name, a place, and I'm going, okay, I really have have, have a, a job. I have some work to do. But I felt like I was just being guided 100% by the ancestors. They wanted me to make that trip. They wanted me to find my 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 kin folks, and that was my goal. It was truly amazing. Um, I can identify with the fact that you were somewhat, of course, I'm sure as most of us are, we're astonished when we see an ancestor's name on a slave inventory or some estate record. You talked about your first trip to the Tompkins Library, and you saw an inventory for the first time. Can you describe that a little bit? 
And um, you said that that was the trip that changed your life. Um, what was that it, like? Looking, it, it was, at- and and you know, I I'm, I'm going to take you to a more recent experience because I didn't realize what was going on, but the emotion was a feeling I had never experienced before. You know, I didn't know if I should scream, jump up and down with joy, or just stand there and say, what? What? I can't believe this. You know, what am I looking at? Oh, my God, my great-grandfather was listed in an inventory. Oh, my God. I mean, my hands are turning blue right now. And this is what happened to me in Louisiana just a couple of weeks ago when I found a document with my ancestor's name in it. I mean, if anybody can realize, you, you, you know slavery existed. You know it. But when you see it, and you yes. see your ancestor in an inventory, just like property, yes. that is a very overwhelming feeling. It, wow. it, it just is. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm already getting emotional because I'm telling uh, you, it, it, it's, 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 I mean, it's real. It's, it's a real feeling. It's very, very powerful indeed. In fact, I see one of the, uh, members in the chat also talking about the power of that moment. Another part of that meeting had to have been the fact that data was shared with you from a descendant of the family that held your ancestors enslaved. Not that I'm asking you to, to revisit those feelings, but there's a lesson there somehow in terms of you certainly don't want to close the water faucet, if I can uh, uh, borrow uh, uh, the metaphor from Ethel. Uh, but, wow, what was that like? Here's the person whose ancestors had put your ancestor's name on that inventory, and now they're sharing it with you. That's an interesting dynamic that's taking place. Um, some of our listeners have yet to get to that stage in their research, and they never meet a descendant of a slave-holding person who held their ancestors. But what was that for you, and how how did that affect your current research? Do you still stay in touch with that person who shared it with you? Can you share that a little bit? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is a 10-year relationship, and so we communicate all the time. And I will call and ask for advice. And can you can you tell me about this family? I'm finding some more records. Do you think this is correct? I mean, we recognize that our ancestors were in the same place at the same time. The circumstances yeah. were different, but they were there at the same time. And the sharing that's going on now, we're kind of at that acceptance point. There's no anger. You know, there's no anger. But we're at that point where she's doing what I would hope other descendants, if they have papers, share, share them. Okay. I, I hope that's really heard because I know that many are perhaps afraid to share, and some are not even quite sure how they may react to that person who is sharing it with them. So I think that is very, very important to visit that. You mentioned something in your book 
uh, where you made a discovery about a great, I guess it was a great-great-grandfather, Richard Kemp, and you found a news clipping. Share the impact of, found, of finding what you found with the listeners. Well, I don't want to give everything away, <laughs> but don't I can just, I, I don't want to give you away, so this is a cliffhanger, people. We had been searching, could not, could not figure out what happened to my great-great-grandfather. And I'll just tell you that one morning, I'm sitting at the computer, and you get these announcements all the time, and an announcement came around, and it said, uh, check old newspapers. So I decided, let me put my great-great-grandfather's name in this. Maybe something will happen. And there was a headline. Now, you have to read the book to find out what happened. But it was a headline that I hope that I would not see. That's all I have to say. It's one of those headlines that you never want to (laughs) see. When you find something like that, what's the impact of reading something about uh, an ancestor? Um, You see something you don't want to see and realize, oh, my goodness, this is what happened to this person. Well, What's the result of that? I mean, you didn't just find it yesterday, so you're not still sorting through it, but you do have a feeling about it. What, what yeah, does one well, do when they find You know, it's like part that? of, for what, what happened with finding the headline is that it also confirmed uh, what I think was the family mystery and, or the, you know, or the, the family secret. And, and, there it was, and the only thing I could say, oh, so that's what happened. I mean, it was sad. It it meant there was a need to grieve and to recognize that the family went through a very difficult period of what happened uh, during that particular time. And it had an impact on the children, the children of whom were part of me. I mean, my grandmother, my Grand uncles, my grand aunts, you know, all of those people were impacted by what um, what took place. Wow. Well, of course, now everyone, of course, we're all so thrilled that the book is out. And I know that you all have build, been building up to this moment, certainly for the past year. Well, and of course, we know that we all look forward to every week. But beyond that, in terms of telling that story, that, that larger story, where do you go from here? What is your next, I guess, direction with the Edgefield story or the Edgefield families and even the, the living? What's next for you in the Edgefield adventure? Well, I'm hoping that other people from Edgefield, not only from Edgefield, but from communities all over, will take our model, if you will, form a book collaborative, and tell their stories because this is what it's all about. It's the sharing of of the story, and it's the sharing of the journey. And certainly this was only one of many stories of my ancestors in Edgeville. And so I I do have other stories to tell and other books to write. So we know we can look forward to seeing more of the printed word coming from you as well then. Yes. Well, why don't we at this point uh, take a bit of a break here, 
and we'll come back and continue with the rest of the Memory Keepers. Let's take a break now. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. You have been listening to guest hosts Angela Walton Raji and the Memory Keepers. Now you can join this show every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You can also find the archive shows on my website, www.geniebroots. Well, back to you, Angela. Thank you so much, Bernice. Well, as it was just mentioned, we have been chatting with the Memory Keepers. These are five individuals who shared their family stories and uh, histories in terms of their own family encountering life and originating from Edgefield, South Carolina. Our next guest is Ellen LaVon Butler. And she is the only Edgefield native in the group, or born and raised, so to speak. She speaks of life in the beginning in a small town. And, of course, we know small rural places in the south with fresh flowers and vegetables and and just the beauty of the country. And, of course, like many families, hers changed when the families joined others in the Great Migration and ended up in Washington, D.C., other parts of the North, and the Midwest. But she also describes how she treasures the stories she heard from the elders while growing up, and they fueled her interest in the past. Let's welcome Ellen LaVon Butler. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure. I am curious. As to what you would say, Ellen, that initiated your own formal search for the family's history? Uh, Well, we were going to be having a family reunion, and I figured this would be the perfect opportunity to present the family history. I had a lot of oral information, but I'd never really, um, I, I guess, confirmed any of the information. So I decided to make my first trip to the National Archives and to 
look up in the census, and this was back in the 1990s, so it was before everything was digitized. But that, just going to the archives and looking up the census was just such an exciting experience. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that uh, besides the fact that there was a reunion coming up, um, do you feel that just having grown up in a place or spent early formative years in a place like Edgefield, did that help you as you were going through it? I mean, you must have recognized not only your family but other names of people you probably had lived nearby. Was your Edgefield early childhood something that contributed to your interest in genealogy? Uh, well, yes, it did. And I, um, having been raised by my grandparents, I always heard a lot of the stories about other people and the older people and the people who lived uh, down the road and the people who lived up the road. So I was, you know, very familiar with uh, many names. And as uh-huh. I was looking at the census, I found it very interesting to just go through and look at the names. And, of course, I recognized many of them. And as a matter of fact, on one of my, well, many of my visits to the uh, National Archives, I actually just read the census. I would start in the in the county or go down one road and go up the other road because I I knew these people. I uh-huh. I knew their names. I mean, I remembered some of them I knew from church, others I knew from school. So I, I felt that I had a, a a very good sense of the of the people of Edgeville and specific, specifically the little town that we lived in. Okay, okay. Well, I can certainly appreciate that. Well, you know, you described your emotion when you found your family during the slavery era after you had been researching them in freedom of course in those years 1870 on on forward um but share that experience when you found a document that reflected them while they were enslaved uh what was that situation and what was your emotion on seeing them on a slavery era record well like uh, everyone else i was I was excited, but yet um, somewhat depressed in seeing it. As Bernice and others have indicated, we all know that sl- slavery existed, but it's, uh, it just hits you hard when you see the actual names on the documents. And when I saw the slave inventory with my ancestors' names listed there, I mean, it, it was just a feeling that you almost can't describe. Um, in some cases, though, because I also saw my ancestor's name on a church record, and that was uh, it just this was interested to know that they were actually documented on that particular record. Wow, oh, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. You also, besides looking at the records, which we all, of course, treasure, you mentioned that you had put out some queries. You put a query, I believe, was it on Afrogenius? Uh, dot com. You had uh, put in a query there. Have you uh, found that that query process was useful for you? Well, um, what happened? I did not really put the query out. I was looking at Aphrodinius, and I I saw a query from someone else that got okay. me very excited, okay. and I just knew that I had you know this person was. Uh, according to the query, looking for the same information or the same slave names that I was looking for. And the query, um, it it turned out not to provide what I was looking for, but 
it connected me with a person that has been very um, instrumental in helping me research, and we've kind of become um, researchers together, and she provides me with information, and she's, uh, you know, it's really, really been very helpful. Well, one of the things that both, and, and I think that was the same feeling after speaking with Bernice, too, how critical it is to interact with others, share your data with others, and you all can almost become partners, so to speak. Would you describe your relationship as sort of a partnership with this person? Oh, yes, definitely. As a matter of fact, this person um, is a descendant of the, f- the family that I thought owned once owned my family. We have not made the specific connection now, but we know that we're in the same uh, ballpark, and I'm, we are sure that with us working together, we're going to find the person I'm looking for. Has it been, uh, um, I guess, well, it sounds as if you have an amiable relationship uh, with this descendant. Has, is this sort of a relationship that you would encourage others to embrace? Um, oh, yes. To- yes, indeed. I really wish others would take on the attitude that this person has taken on. I mean, she is literally almost, you know, dedicated to helping African Americans find their ancestors. And she would really, I mean, she sets the standard for how I wish that it would work with everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's wonderful, and it, it's something that still continues to this day? Oh, yes, and will continue to continue. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let me ask this question. Did you have any surprises um, as you were, you know, going through that process and, and were obtaining documents and um, some you stumbled upon, maybe some that, that uh, you had methodically searched for and located. Have you been surprised with some of the amazing facts that you've been able to find, or were you even surprised that you were able to document your lines as extensively as you've done? Well, yes, I, I was very surprised that I was able to go back as far as I could on this one particular line and I was even more so surprised that, as you indicated, some of the documents, um, for instance, I found a, a, deposition, a deposition where uh, one of my slave ancestors uh, died very suddenly. And um, in the deposition, they actually interviewed the other slaves, and so it identified them. And so I knew that they talked to his sister, they talked to the brother, and those names are actually listed in the deposition. And I was just really floored when I saw that. And those oh, records, I was just truly amazed at the records that are kept at the Old Edgefield Genealogy Society, the actual original documents are there and available for you to look at. That's truly amazing. One of the things that I noticed you shared, I believe another uh, of your collaborators also shared, were church records. And it, is, it appears as if that has been a valuable resource uh, for you in addition to what comes out of the courthouses or what comes out of census records. You also were able to find some church records that reflected um, enslaved people in the line. Can you talk about that? Uh, well, yes, I was able to um, find one of my ancestors listed on the church membership records going back to the early 1800s. And I also found out that this, um, the slave owner was actually at one point the pastor of the church. So um, that ah, was a significant find. 
and when I found the will, it, it made reference to the fact that he had instructed his wife to make um, financial donations to the uh, Missionary Society of the State of South Carolina, of the state of Georgia, which led me to the church records that showed that he was actually connected to the church. Which is absolutely amazing as well. So um, it just shows you truly to leave no stone unturned if the records exist, utilize them. Um, so what's next for you? What, what, what's next on your agenda, Ellen? Are you working on something? Are you still trying to dig a little bit farther? You've gone pretty far back and already in your line. What's, what's now happening? The book is in your hand. Your friends, your family have copies, I'm sure. What's now ahead, ahead for you at this stage? Well, as with uh, most genealogists, the journey continues. I mean, I've been able to go back with that line, but there are so many other lines. But my goal is to actually find my butler slave ancestors and then to focus on, because all of this is on my great-grandfather's side, so I want to go to my great-grandmother's side. So I just see uh, many, I guess, good things coming in the future. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you so very much, Ellen Butler. It has been a pleasure, and thank you for joining us this evening as well. Well, thank you so much, Angela. Okay. Well, one chapter that I thought was just uh, something that was very moving to read, on behalf of the ancestral spirits, this is Vincent Shepherd. He is a person who grew up in what I would call uh, a destination city, meaning uh, a destination for those who left the South in the years of the Great Migration. And yet, growing up in that destination community of New York, this did not keep Vincent Shepard from a knowledge of his deep roots in the South. And in his chapter, we read about life in South Carolina and Georgia. That became... <clears throat> Excuse me, the launch pad, I guess I'll call it, from which he was able to begin his own research. Welcome, Vincent, to Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Angela, and the memory keepers. Well, it has been a true pleasure. I must say I enjoyed your chapter, and I can almost imagine the stimulation that you must have received from the elders while you were growing up. Did would you say that they really are the ones who planted the seed for you to know about your history a bit more? Yes. Um, but I guess in, in the community where I grew up, it was so many people. And, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about the 60s. And, you know, there's a there's a movement going on. And everybody wants everybody to associate themselves with each other, you know. And so, you know, it was it was the elders when I, when I got together with them. And that was frequently on both the maternal and paternal side, and then there was the neighborhood. There was my parents' friends. And, you know, a lot of people always like to move where, maybe not from your street, but from your state. You know, so well, there's a lot of Carolinians on the block and Georgians in Brooklyn. And, you know, it, it just became an enlightening, uh, an enlightening part of my life to be around all of that. And everybody always has something to tell you. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, of course, you, excuse me, you did, of course, eventually leave and join the U.S. Navy and had a career there and have retired. And I'm sure you have tons of memories there. 
But beyond the stories that you collected while in the military, what are some of the fondest memories that you carried with you beyond that? Because I would think that, well, I won't even say what I think. You tell us, what were some of the, the fondest memories that you carried with you beyond the military experience? Well, aside from, from, uh, from the visits to places like Africa, that really got a chance, and, and other countries that, that kind of sharpened my stone to understand people in their own terrain. You know, you, you're in New York and you see different people, and you sometimes you even call them wrong, you know, because you don't really know what race they're really connected to. But in going so, in, in their own in their own their own terrain, I, I learned to appreciate everything about everybody. And but that's good. one so of you one really of, got a whole perspective. Right. So, one, I'm curious. It was the yeah. one individual in your own family, uh, or maybe in outside the family, maybe in your circle of associates, who influenced you to conduct genealogical research. Yeah, again, m- many people, but I, I have to give it. I have to give give it up to Red Rooster. And, and when you reach out to five, you begin to realize, you know, how much influence she did have in my life. Um, after backtracking her life. You know, I came to the conclusion that, that like most parents, she didn't want her legacy to be forgotten. Uh-huh. Um, you know, for many children growing up in urban areas throughout America, it's kind of rare that time allots an opportunity to get to know the history of the person referred to as a parent, and even okay. rarer to trace those steps, you know, to another life in another place and time with ancestors and communities that, you know, that sort of like preceded their existence. So uh-huh. in everything that she told me, it kind of gave me a lot of oomph to get out there and learn about her life. And her wow. life, to me, became a lot more interesting than mine. You know, somebody, uh-huh. one of my children or grandchildren might write about something about me years from now, and, and it might be interesting to some, but this woman led a phenomenal life. And her ancestors was very worth going up the line to do to research. You know, it, it's like wow. once I found, once I got that preparation for it, I was off and running. Once I retired, I went straight for it. That's wonderful. Well, as you began that process, you really jumped into it and got into it. Did you ever meet any resistance along the way, people who were kind of pushing back and not encouraging you? Well, People, yes, but, but again, you know, it, it, it's always a rapport factor. I don't care if it's family or not. If, if family, you know, if, if they know, they've heard of you, and they're like, okay, well, this is my cousin, and, you know, I heard, I heard something about them, but then you sit down. There's some that are interested in wanting to share things and some that are reluctant. But right. the most reluctance that I found, unlike my counterparts, uh, the memory seekers, was that, the churches that I went to, a lot of them, for information I couldn't get. So I adapted what they call a hands-on approach, whereas, you know, after going to D.C. and looking up some files in the archives, I made, a, I made a conscious decision early on to just get in the car and go for it. Let's go to South that's Carolina, right. let's go to Georgia, take some time off, and run the cemeteries. And that's what I did. I was, I was in just about all of them. Wow. Well, during your years of research, I'm sorry, during your years of research, I'm sure you have a lot of memories of the different adventures and things. 
what memory sort of stands out in forefront or, you know, in front of some of the other uh, experiences that you've had? Well, an experience, well, actually I had an Aunt Hattie. Okay, and Aunt Hattie I talk a little bit about in, in, in uh, Chapter 5 also. Now, Aunt Hattie sat me down when I was about five years old, and she, she sat me on her knee. She was one. Of, she was my great aunt, and she was tall and dark skinned, and you know, and, and she had a lot of strong convictions. She sat me on her knee, and I asked her for a sip of a coffee, and she said, "Well, coffee will make you black." <laughs> All right, and so I, I said, "Not that I'm not dark skinned myself, but she was darker than I was." But so, but I loved her so much that I was willing to be as dark as she was. And I drank coffee with her. I drank it with her. As a matter of fact, I drank coffee for decades after she passed. I learned much later that, that, you know, it wasn't true what she was saying, but like so many other things that I had heard from other family members and friends of the family, it was that, you know, it was all probably received from their information they had received from their ancestors. It was like a pastime, you know. So, again, these are more people giving me this, this approach to, to ancestry in, in so many subtle ways, you know, and, and that's what I like. That's what I learned about Anhattan. And in wow, years to come, I learned a lot, you know, it, it filtered into my ancestry research. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure there were times that you had to obtain information, maybe not necessarily directly from the source you expected. You had to determine different ways, maybe an alternate way to get that information. Did you ever encounter that kind of experience? Yes. Again, hands-on, that, that's me. Hands-on. You know, I'll I, I do the libraries, but, but I, I, I like to get in the car, think about what I'm going to do, you know, as I'm driving, put it all in shape and get there and just, and, and I've, I've done that even with funeral homes, you know, that have allowed me to go in and, and, and obtain my own records. They say, just go in the basement, it's, there's the box, just go through it, write it down, and, and come on out, you know. Because um, uh, the archives, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, as a result of some of the things that you've done, and you've gone to a number of places to obtain what you were looking for, uh, is there certain advice that you would give to others? As they're in, in, some are just beginning the search, and some are in the middle of that process. Are there uh, pieces of advice you would give to others listening to you in terms of, of, you know, staying on track or staying focused and finding those alternate ways? Any advice that you would want to give listeners in terms of, of staying on track? Well, I would tell them definitely to when you make up your mind you're going to do it, don't, don't waver from it. It's like uh-huh. anything else. You lose focus on it for a minute, and in that minute, it could take you hours, weeks, and days and weeks to get back in that groove. Stick with and of course, it's an ongoing journey for sure. That's right. Keep good notes. Um, ask as many questions as you feel necessary because that's the only way you're going to find out. Some people will tell you when you ask, and some people won't, but the only way you're going to know if, the, if you're going to get what you're looking for is you're going to have to ask. You have to develop that skill set of asking. And don't be ashamed to ask. Very good advice. Well, the book is complete now. What's what's, uh, next on your agenda? What are you working on? Are you going to 
um, write something in the future yourself? What is next for you? Well, I, I, I share what, what's been said already. Yes, um, there are, there is definitely writing in the future. Um, as, I, as I had also mentioned in our ancestors, our stories, I discovered a lot of relatives over the past eight years, established ah. a family association back in 2005, and That's it's right. now preparing itself to get into the business of a union plan. So um, wow. we're, we're going to take on the legwork of, of assisting families who would like to hold reunions but can never seem to get it off the ground. We're going to work with that. Um, you know, family members go to our website. We'll, we'll work them through it because um, we do have our own family website. And I'm going to start reaching out to, uh, or I say we, we're going to start reaching out to communities um, in close proximity with many of our families lives and raise an interest in, uh, an interest in, in genealogical research. So um, uh, we're, 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 we're about to go out for it. Well, yes, I am Shepherd, writing a couple of books. I'm really happy to hear, of course, that you the journey still continues. And, of course, many of us know that geneal, with genealogical research, it's a journey and not a destination. So um, we're looking forward to some of your future work as well. At this point, uh, why don't we open up the lines? I understand that we have a caller online Coming from area code 979. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Uh, this is Betty. Hello. Good evening, Betty. Do you have a comment or a question? Yes. First of all, I want to say bravo, bravo, bravo to the memory keepers. All right. I am Ellen's anonymous friend. Oh, and the anonymous Friends. Friends. Oh. Yes, I'm oh. in Texas. I am Caucasian. We are okay. going into our eighth year of corresponding, and for months or years, we talked on the phone about every two months for hours. We laugh, oh. we fuss, we push, we, <laughs> we, and I just think she is one of my best friends, and I've never met her. Isn't so, that something? Well, um, she is absolutely amazing, and it has been my pleasure. But I, I, want to, I want to tell you, I talked to her earlier tonight. I told her a story of a fr- good friend who, when this friend, and I'm in my 70s, when this friend was a child, she let, was undaunted by anything, and she had a motto, press on regardless, and this is exactly what the memory keepers have done. I know the horrific side of slavery because I have a document which Ellen knows about from 1840. Uh, hmm. And I've done a lot of slave research. Uh, I've done I've worked with a judge, African-American judge, over the past year. And I, 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 I do know. We don't ever know. But I, it, is, it, it, it makes you physically ill. I just want her to know how much I love her, what she has meant to me, how she spurred me on my journey. Oh, wow. That's something. Well, you know, Betty, it is individuals such as yourself 
really who can open doors for us. They certainly can unlock doors that have long been blocked and hidden away for us to find little snippets of things, even though some of the stories may not even be pleasant, but it's still opening a door. And I also think that that is the beginning of healing with individuals such as yourself who are willing to assist and know that you are appreciated. And um, I certainly uh would welcome you into our genealogical circle anytime. And, and well, thank I you. did participate years ago in your, your blog. I was the, the descendant of, of uh, a slave owner. You know, I um That's been was, years ago, though, Angela. If I was going to ask someone, is this the same <laughs> Betty whose name seems, uh, her name, Betty from Texas, I seem to recall. Yeah. And actually. I think you and I have communicated in the past because you we found have, something. We have, because I participated in, you know, the blog yes. of years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Well, thank you for okay. your generosity. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. We have another caller this evening calling from area code 901. Hello, caller. Are you there with a question? Yes, I or- am. Hello. This is Janice, Bernice's sister. And I just wanted to say to the memory keepers, Harris, Bernice, Ellen, Ethel, and Vincent, that I am so proud of you guys for having the stick to itness to complete your book. Congratulations. Oh, well, wow. Thank you. Hey, we don't get Bernice's relatives to call in all the time. What a real treat. And so nice to, to hear another member, certainly of the Alexander family, calling in. Well, I just wanted to share one more thing with you. I was with Bernice when uh, the discovery was made of our great-great-grandfather in the uh, the records, and you had to have been there to see the joy and the pleasure and the tears that were formed when when this particular relative was found. So all of them have done such a fantastic job, and I cannot wait to read everybody's chapter. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you definitely for calling in, Janice. We certainly appreciate that. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you. We have another caller this evening from area code 504. Hello, caller. You have a question or comment? Hi. Hello. Hi, this is Stephanie. And first, I want to commend Bernice and the Rest of the crew on a beautiful book. Um, oh, definitely. I call want me to, in. Yeah, I want to let Miss Butler know that she matches my mom and brother, and so we will be in touch. And then ah. I want to ask a question: how 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 was it for you guys to be in different locations and to collaborate? Did you run well, into any obstacles or anything like that? I'm going to actually um, defer that one to Bernice uh, because um, I have I've heard little pieces on that. Bernice, can you address that? How were you all able to do this living in different places? I think it was by faith. <laughs> but actually we communicated by phone. Everything was by phone or by email. 
and we would pass things back and forth. We would react to it, talk on the phone, send minutes to each other, but that's how we wrote the book. And I have to say that we we also had we also had assistance. We had Anita Paul from the Right Image. And so as we would write and she would coach each of us on our writing and we'd send a piece of our you know, our manuscript and we'd get it back. We would share it sometimes with each other, but that's really how we wrote this book. Truly an amazing process. There had to be such a spirit of cooperation though. I mean, you have what, five different personalities who may have a different vision and you all just sort of came as one. Truly, truly incredible. Wow. Right. Um, I think that you need to take it on the road and teach others because I think others should be able to use your book as a model and do this as well. I understand we have a caller also from area code 757. Hello, caller. You're on the air with a question or comment. Is that me? Yes, Can you go hear ahead, me? caller. Hi, uh, this is Selma, and I'm calling to say I've enjoyed reading the book. I was reading it all last night, and but I do have a question. Um, it's kind of a small question, but it interested me. For Ellen and Ethel, um, for Ellen, she was listing her grandfather's sister's name, and the first one she listed was a name spelled D O U S C H. K-I-A. And this is when the other girls are named Charlotte and um, Minnie and Elsa. And I just really want to know how to pronounce that name. And Ethel also had uh, one of the aunts, a Blaylock. Her name was spelled D-O-U-S-C-H-K-A. Do they know how those names were pronounced? Okay, Ellen, why don't you take that first? How was that name pronounced? Well, in our family, it was pronounced Dushka. Uh, and the spelling that I used was, um, it's different from Ethel's, but it's the way the family spells it. So I put it in that way. But I think okay. for Ethel, it's the same pronunciation, Dushka. It does it's a Russian name. One of our members in the chat room uh, says that it sounds Russian. It actually does. Is that the it's, origin of the name? Do you know? Uh, yes, uh, it's, I think that's the origin of the name. The name came from, um, well, I shouldn't say it came from, but uh, I think it was Andrew Pickens, who was the U.S. minister to Russia, and he and his wife had a daughter while they were in Russia. And supposedly they, the child was named by the Tsar of Russia, and that was the name that was given to the child. So then when he returned to Edgefield, that it, I have seen that name on a number of uh, African-American families. And I actually oh, think cool. that my family is connected to the Pickens family, but that's another research journey. Okay. Oh, my it just struck oh. out oh. so different. And then I saw it again in, um, in Ellen's, but hers had the I. I am, so I was just wondering. Yes, but that's the way that um, my family, the Christie family, that's how they spell it. Okay, well, okay, thank you very thanks. much. And I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying the book. Thank you. Oh, thank you. 
Thanks, Tom. I'll allow um, Ethel to answer that question as well. How is the name pronounced in your line? Oh, did I lose contact there? Okay, maybe we'll be able to get her back in, in just a bit there. Uh, we have a call in the meantime coming in from area code 979. Hello, caller. You are on the air with a question or comment. Uh, I, I, this is Betty. I just I just talked to you. Oh, sure. Okay. Thank you so much, Betty. Oh, okay. We're already finished there. Okay, okay. Um, is Ethel there? I think Ethel um, had that uh, had a similar name, and I was curious, was it the same kind of pronunciation? Uh, are you there, Ethel? Can you guys hear me? Yes. Hello? Can you hear me? Now we Yes, we can. Oh, okay. It's pronounced Disca. Okay, it is. Okay, yeah. very interesting. Any idea in the family the origin of that name as well? Is it also a Russian origin to your knowledge? To my knowledge, Russian. At first I thought it was German, but I think it is Russian. Oh, I really okay. I really name. Wow. Okay, well, thank you both. Well, my goodness, uh, I think we're okay now. Are there any questions from the chat room? Um, we've had a lot of people who've been reacting to all the wonderful things that you all have been sharing, uh, certainly um, in terms of your research journeys. And this is just the beginning, I hope, of other community stories that will start to come forth. You all have certainly become um, pioneers in terms of, of what you've done as a group and shared your story with your collaboration. So I certainly want to extend a, a personal thank you to the Memory Keepers, to Harris Bailey, to Bernice Alexander Bennett, Ellen LeVon Butler, Ethel Daly, and Vincent Shepard. Thank you all for your work, and thank you all for being here. And remember, you can order the book directly from the website, uh, www.thememorykeepers.net. Don't uh, hesitate to go and get your copy today. And I think I'm going to turn things back over to our host, Bernice Bennett. Thank you all for being here, and Bernice, back to you. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Angela. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you, thank thank you, you very much, uh, Angela, and the Memory Keepers for coming on tonight to share the story about our ancestors, our stories. You know, we, we talked about what it meant for us to come up with a title, and we felt that this title would say exactly what we needed it to say, that we're telling the stories about our ancestors, and when you read it, you will see research, but you will also see it in the context of a story. So please remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives and beyond. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. And I look forward to you joining me next Thursday, 
and you will see the entire April lineup on Saturday. Now, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast on Fridays and Nurturing Our Roots on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I look forward to you joining me next week. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Good night, memory keepers. Good night.